This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on, it's a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my God. And starring Academy Award nominee, Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX's Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Uh, we are the collaboration of four outdoorsmen who somehow afforded podcast equipment and figured out how to release content on the internet. These are our stories, opinions, and perceptions of outdoor pursuits in the sporting world. We have two great guests today. Oh, we don't have Zach today, who's feeling a little under the weather. So I'm running the board. We'll see how that goes. Think he has the muddy butt again, like I did? <laughs> the muddy butt? Yeah. Not you could. Yeah. You couldn't even wait... Uh, Ten minutes. Nope. Got to bring up. Got to bring up excrement every podcast. That's my goal. Do we you guys share straws or something? <laughs> no. This we, it, it was three weeks between the two incidents. <laughs> Completely unrelated. We have uh, two. It's me and Cliff, and we have two guests. We have Griffith England. Hey. And we have Gabe, our whiskey dealer. What's, <laughs> <laughs> What's going our on? Our plug. Yeah. Isn't that what the kids are calling it? <laughs> I believe that's correct. Gabe still wants to hang out with us even after the Blanton's debacle. I only cried for a day. It's okay. <laughs> I got over it. We're good. Well, I think I let's not bring it up. I don't know why you guys have to bring it up. Every I gave podcast. him a thorough we, description we, of how good it was. <laughs> we apologize every episode. I think it's finally like sunk in. He's like, okay, these guys really mean it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you really meant it, you'd go buy me another bottle. So that was it. Good luck. That was the only <laughs> barrel they ever made. So, Gabe, what are we drinking tonight? Tonight we have the Weller Foolproof. So um, this is the blue label, not uh, the green, not the 107, not the 12. This is the Foolproof. So it's 114 proof. Um, is a weeded, weeded bourbon. Uh, fantastic. This is the first one I've had. Um, had this bottle sitting on, on the shelf for a little bit, um, but wanted to bring it out, share it with you guys, and I am, I'm liking it. This is very good for, for a weeded bourbon. From the notes I got here, we're looking at, um, again, on the nose of vanilla, dark cherries, and caramel on the palate. Balance of caramel and toasted oak with a finish. Uh, the finish is long with notes of creme brulee and chocolate. It is sweet. I like it. It's very good. I filled my glass up to problems. So. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, to, this is, I mean, you know, you have a good steak or, or something heavy, oh, and then yeah. you have this. This is this is uh, creme brulee for me all the way. This is very good. And this is a Buffalo Trace product. And how hard is this bottle to get? 
So retail on this is is probably around sixty bucks. Um, will you find it? No. Um, this is probably getting a call from a list uh, or or having a buddy that have it that has it. Probably find it at a at a bar, probably for about maybe fourteen bucks for uh, for a pour. Um, I'd pay 20. I'd pay that for a pour. Yeah, on this. that's, this that's is not great. bad. Um, you know, maybe maybe twenty. I, I don't think if you're paying over twenty five on this, that's way too much. But I think twenty would be fair, even eighteen. Um, but um, but yeah, this is going to be hard to find. It's, it's I wouldn't say it's a unicorn, but you know the drops on it are probably once a year. I believe on this one. So, um, yeah, it's it's good. So it comes out once a year. How did you get this bottle? Or could you said you had multiple bottles? I have, I have a couple. Um, just got lucky, right place, right time. Uh, I think they had some during Black Friday at Specs, and then just happened to walk into a place when the, the guy just happened to drop them off. So. Uh, got lucky at at a at a couple of stores, but this was over. I mean, this is I think this is already its second release. It only came out last year for the first time, and so yeah, yeah. I think I have like maybe one more extra at home. I don't know. I have to look. Okay. <laughs> so what is the deal with uh, Pappy Van Winkle not coming out this year? No, it's not Pappy. Or Pappy's gonna come out. Uh, George T. Stag. George not, T. Stag. Yeah. So yeah. part of the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection which are higher-aged um, special release whiskeys, which is right around this time. Next month is what they call whiskey season um, and or bourbon season. And um, so that's where you get your, your bigger drops of your, your pappies, your, um, your Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, which includes um, Weller, William Weller LaRue, um, Eagle Rare, I think is 18, um, a, a handy, uh, a Sazerac. I think the Sazerac's eighteen. I think the Eagle is seventeen years, uh, and then um, and then the George T. Stag. So supposedly the George T. Stag wasn't up to uh, to par on the barrels this year. So uh, it's probably going to be mixed into something else. But there is no George T. Stag release this year at all. None. Did they say why the barrels came out bad? I'm sure it's the same recipe and stuff like that from previous years. No idea. Yeah, it's it's usually the same recipe, but obviously they, they age it. I think with George C. Stag, it's like 15 years and six months. Uh, two years ago, the 19, I think, was the lowest proof at like 116. Last year, jumped up to like 134 on the proof, which is usually where you see it. Some of the proofs that have dropped in the past have been like 140 145, I think. Like, it's called hazmat bottles. So the problem is the proof. No, it's not the proof so much as just the quality of it. You know, they pop those things out, they taste it, and, you know, if it just doesn't meet the profile, it's like obviously in this case it wasn't good enough for them to, to bottle it. And there's already not a lot to begin with. I mean, you're aging it for 15 years. You're losing a lot in those barrels, just on the age. Yeah, on the evaporation. Right. So... Is that going to affect next year's release? No idea. Those bottles, those barrels are still aging. Yeah. So until they <laughs> pop them open, and again, that would have been brewed and distilled the, the not brewed but distilled the the you know the, the next year. The next year, yeah. So no no idea, no idea, and I I think everyone was kind of surprised. Does that uh, help the market as far as the other bottles that are on the market? 
as far the, as increase the value of the bottles that you might have what's or weird else might have. what's weird i was talking to some buddies and and what they've seen is that on the on the 2019 which was the lowest proof and and that one i thought was fantastic um and that was like the first george t stags that i've tried and just i really liked it um at the 119 um uh, those are, are are kind of being sought after more I mean, the 2020s were still sought after, but I feel like everyone's going for, for those that, that 116 proof. Just just because of the proof's a little bit lower, but, I mean, they're, they're just, they're both good. They're just all different. I mean, that's yeah. what's cool about them every year. That's the whole point, is that they're all coming out of different different proofs. And, you know, some people have their favorite proof because it, it came out higher. Some people like them a little bit lower. And even at the higher proofs, some of them aren't, they don't taste like, you know, they're they're as high as they say they are. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's gotten, getting kind of crazy out there too. Just sort of again, talking with some buddies and, and seeing all of that. But yeah, I didn't very interesting that they weren't going to do it, um, this year. You know, and again, same with you, like how bad was it that they, they didn't want to bottle it? Yeah, that's, I don't know. You know, bourbon is a thing that like one guy likes one thing, another guy likes another thing. Wh- who's to say that someone may have liked it? Or was it just so bad that they're like, this is just, you know, they they have a lot of right, they have a lot of stuff mark, a lot of marketing writing on it, right? They have a lot of money writing on it. So from from that perspective, if it's not a good good enough to have it under that name, then you know Put why it under do another it? Name. Yeah, it's like it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, it's probably gonna be they're probably gonna make uh, H and H with it, um, with which is their lower one or. Um, Oh, I forget the the other one they have um, that bottled. Um, I have it in my head, but I, I can't think of the name. Again, another one that you hardly you hardly. A uh, Hancock's Reserve. Hancock's Reserve is a Buffalo Trace deal, and you, it's a weird one because it, you hardly ever ever see it. Um, but no telling what they're going to mix it with. Um, I know they're not just going to dump it out. It's going to go in something. Yeah. But I I can't even remember what the. Uh, what the mash bill is on it I mean, off the top of my head. So, you know, with Buffalo Trace, they have a, they have a hand, probably like four, four, three or four uh, mash bills. So all their products fall under a certain mash bill. And the only di- difference is how it was aged and how long it was aged mm. and well, where it was aged. Because we talk about Blanton's, Blanton's being in Warehouse H, which I think is like the only metal building in, on the on the property. Mm. Um and so that, yeah, it's just it was it was an interesting. Thing. I was blown away. I was sad um, that they weren't going to have that out. But uh, this is making me feel a lot better. This yeah. proof is delicious. Hey, Cliff, you want to touch on your team being in the World Series? Yeah, Braves are in World Series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that I'm pretty ecstatic about it right now. I mean, I grew up. A Braves fan, still a Braves fan. Well, you told me too earlier that that's like your only true team. Yeah, so you've been like I you have know, maybe like a Fairweather fan for some other sports and some other teams, but the Braves are like your solid. I wouldn't like, say necessarily Fairweather, but so the top three sports that I truly follow and can get excited about is MLB, SEC football, and NASCAR. And in NASCAR, I don't really have a favorite driver. I just like see cars go around track fast. You just like seeing things drive in a circle? Yes. <laughs> um, I had you pegged as a disc golf guy. No. I just, man. Um, so what's, he, what's, he would be a disc golfer. What's the appeal to, like, NASCAR over, like, F1 style? 
like racing. Like, uh, do you enjoy that too? I do enjoy. Or in the past, I've tried to get into it. I do enjoy it, and I respect the crap out of F one drivers. I think that they are top tier athletes. Um, but to me, there's just something truly Americana about a round track, NASCAR in general, and uh, coming from. I mean, the beginnings of NASCAR was bootleggers in Appalachia and stuff running their cars at stock levels to yeah. see how fast they can go. And that's how NASCAR's stock car got its roots going. And so there is, like, that draw of being, like, from the area yeah. as well. The blue collar. You, then you see too. how much engineering goes into these vehicles but they still have to remain within some certain attitudes of spec of being a stock car. Like there's only so much you can do to it. Whereas F1, you can push those, yeah. the limits to the nth degree. NASCAR, it does have those varying degrees. Another thing is like those, those drivers, they're also top tier athletes. Oh, yeah, yeah. People make fun of them going around in a circle, but you're going around in a circle in some cases with a 45-degree incline on your side right? where it's only the gravity holding you up against that wall with Why another not? guy running 150 miles an hour on your butt, a guy running 150 miles an hour with an inch of space between your side and their side, and a guy right in front of you that you're trying to get around. They're still athletes, and they're still pushing the limit and then you got to think about it. Average NASCAR race is still three hours. Where are those guys going to pee? <laughs> Mom thinks they're in a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Catheter. We've wondered that too. Um, so, but back I to will it. say back to that point of them being athletes. I did the uh, like the really fast go karts one time, and we did a couple races, like pretty long races, like maybe like fifteen minute races, which is way more than you're going to get on like your cheap go kart yeah. track. They give you like three laps, and they're like, you're done. But, like, I was, my arms were so sore afterwards because taking those turns at speed, and I was like, okay, I have a greater respect for racing now because those guys are doing it for three hours, 500 miles. And I'm going, like, I don't know how fast those, like, those fast go-karts go, but it's not 150 miles an hour. Yeah, you better not be it, shaky. It's, out there. it's definitely <laughs> something, like, over the years I've grown to respect. I yeah. get, like, the making fun of it, it's like, what do I do now? Left turn type yeah. thing. I, I get that. And I get that it attracts like. Well, it's just people that don't the get more it. Like red they're not side into it. Yeah. of people. But I mean, there's still people and these they're I mean, they're just as good as any pro ball athlete of any sport, in my yeah. opinion. But back to your original question. Yeah. The Braves have been like out of those are my top three sports that I truly follow with SEC football. I grew up a Georgia fan. Like, my dad's side of the family went to Georgia, or a few of them did. My dad was a huge Georgia fan. I fell into it. But then in seventh grade, when I'm really starting to watch football and stuff, my sister goes off to Auburn. Hmm. And because she was there, we were fortunate enough to get uh, season tickets to all the Auburn home games. And that was the year that... Auburn went 13-0 underneath Tommy Tuberfield. And then, so I kind of became, it's hard not to become a fan doing that. And my dad always made the joke, well, he's a Georgia fan, but his, his 
his heart's in Athens, but his wallet's in Auburn. <laughs> so I, I kind of did that for a while, and I ran, rode the Auburn train, and I still like Auburn a lot. But uh, after moving here, I started watching a little bit more UGA. A lot of my friends, like close friends back home, were UGA fans. So I was constantly in the UGA mix. So I kept on and kept on with that, and I've always just kind of flirted the line between Auburn and Georgia. And then with Braves baseball, it's the only baseball team I've ever, like, truly cared about to watch, and that's from their stories of me going over to my neighbor's house, Mr. Ricks, when I was three years old, in a, or I guess I wasn't three, but there was their stories of me walking over to his house in a diaper and him feeding me moon pies and a Pepsi or Coca-Cola and watching Braves. And I I don't remember these at all. Like, that's how far back it goes. But you ask my parents, they, they're like, yeah. Well, how old were you when the Braves won their last World Series? Because it was like in 95, right? I would have been five years old. Do you remember that? Uh, no. 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 I don't remember it. I mean, maybe vaguely. I remember the team, definitely, the 90s era Braves. Who was on there, like Justice? It was John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, uh, Chipper Jones, Chipper Andrew Jones. Jones. All those guys were on the team then. But, yeah, uh, they've gone to the World Series, I believe, one other time since then, lost it. But this year I think that the Braves actually have a strong chance to take the whole thing. I saw uh, right now. I saw curious, a map of, like, the United States, and it's like, people rooting for the Braves is the whole U.S. except a circle around Houston. <laughs> uh, right now, uh, it's 3-0 Braves at the top of the third. Ooh, you heard it here first, two weeks late. Two weeks late, you heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who are you guys rooting for? Do you care? I didn't know baseball was even going on right now. <laughs> Astros. Astros. Yeah. I, th- I'm a, I think I'm rooting for the Braves. Oof. Yeah. My baseball team would be the no, Rangers. I think, I think the Braves. Yeah, me too. But I don't – and the whole cheating scandal has kind of made me mad. It's baseball. That's the thing. It's just like – that's a cop-out answer for someone to say, well, everyone cheats. Well, the, yeah, it's like but NASCAR. you got caught. It's like, it's like NASCAR. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Uh, I don't know. Well, I think, I think the deal is – I talked with Zach about it earlier, and Zach's obviously the biggest baseball fan here. The the Astros like everyone tries to steal signs, yeah. But no one is pointing a camera At and like sign. actively and then beating yeah. on trash cans. Like the second baseman, you know, is trying to steal the signs and or do all that. It's you excessive. Know? Or like yeah, yeah, wearing a wire. Like there's a point where it's excessive, and then yeah. like the nonchalantness attitude of the Astros organization after it happened, instead of like admitting that yeah we were doing this to like. Where's the well, where everyone else is doing it? it it's it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. It, yeah, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't make it right, and you were doing it to an excess. It it would be interesting to know the extent that other teams do that. Yeah. Do they take away the World Series from? Them? Um, no. It just has an asterisk next to and it. Then it the, wasn't that bad. No, they're still World Series champs. There you go. With an asterisk. That but that's the do same I, thing. If you look yeah, at I if you look so. at Barry yeah. Bonds when he beat Hank Aaron's home run sure. record. And then it comes out that sure. he was corking his bat. Like everyone was like hyped up and on, on steroid or on a a special concoction to keep him jacked right. for his age. And man, that was fun to watch. It, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, no that's the thing. Like it's fun to watch. Like okay, but great. they still didn't like truly take it 
take that away from him. It just has an asterisk next to it. He's still a Hall of Famer. That he couldn't have been in that bed. Wow. I don't know. I still don't think it's rot. That's why so, they don't pay uh, me to, to say these things. <laughs> but so, normally I would say I'm not going to let my weekends live and die by a sports team that I have no control over. If an opportunity comes up to hunt and fish, I'm going hunting and fishing. Yeah, I think we all know that. Yeah, just wanted to make it clear. Okay. <laughs> so, Cliff, pull up the uh, uh, article from Fly Lords. I got it right here. So, Fly Lords made a ranking list of the top 25 colleges to go to if you also want to be able to fly fish uh, while you're in college. Five zero now, top of the third. Thanks, Cliff. Since <laughs> since two weeks later, they're going to know who won, but that's okay. The top 25 colleges that you should go to if you're a fly fisherman and you want to fly fish in college. Cliff, what are our top answers? Uh, according to Fly Lords. You want me to go through all 25? No, I want you to do like the top 10. So number one, or I'll start at 10. And then everyone should pick one too that they think is the best. Starting out at number 10, it was Boise State in Boise, Idaho. Number nine was University of Washington in Seattle. Number eight is Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Number seven was Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. Number six is University of Alaska Anchorage in Anchorage, Alaska. Number five is University of Miami, Miami, Florida, which I think that's a token answer. (laughs) Uh, Number four is BYU in Rexburg, Idaho, I guess. Yeah. Number three is Penn State at State College, Pennsylvania. Number two is University of Montana in Missoula. And number one is Montana State in Bozeman. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think that the whole list is extremely trout heavy. And that's why I say the University of Miami Miami is kind of a token answer. Because even if you drill down, because that was just the top 10, but they list top 25 in their opinion. Well, there's no Texas school in the top 25. Right, and I do think that. that a Texas school should beat out some of these. Uh, like number 17 on the list is UGA. Now, being from the area and have lived in San Antonio for the past uh, five years or so now, I honestly think that a school around here, which, yes, it's going to be a smaller school, but UTSA, Texas State, even go up to UT... Well, those Possibly. are those are bigger schools than University of Montana and yeah. Montana State, big time. Um, I mean, I don't know Montana State's numbers of enrollment and stuff. It's not. I would Texas State numbers. That's for sure. I would still think that. What I what I guess I'm trying to say is UGA being number seventeen on here, and I can equate that to school around here because I've lived here and I've lived in this area of Athens. Well, other side, but Georgia. To me, I feel like being in San Antonio, yes, you have to drive a little bit of ways to some stuff, but there's way more opportunity to chase a very diverse list of fish. Like I was talking about off the podcast earlier, being in San Antonio, if we really wanted to, wake up at 5, Go to the Guad, which is only about 45 minutes maybe to the river. Fish for a couple hours. 
grab something to eat, haul butt down to the coast, and catch a redfish. In a single day, we can catch a trout, a bass, and a redfish if we really wanted to bust our butts and get after it. That's a realistic thing that we can do. You can't do that anywhere on this no, list. No other school on that list has that opportunity. Correct. And like I said, this whole list. Uh, Except maybe Carolina. Uh, Charleston, Carolina. You probably Florida, could. Florida, you can catch a lot. Yeah, yeah but you're not going to catch trout. At you, uh, yeah. Miami, you're not going to be able to catch trout. It's I, only that's the only salt water place water. on the uh, on the top. I so here's my list. list. I'm not going to make an argument that a Texas school should be number one. No, I but think, I think it should think, be in the top 25. I think that Penn State at number three should be bumped up. They're the only university. They have a world famous fly fishing course at their university. So if you're talking about, you know. I'm interested in fly fishing and yeah. going to college. They have a world-famous fly fishing course, and they also have, like, a famous fly fishing club. Jeff, uh, one of my buddies, Jeff, went to Penn State. He wears Bezos? the – No. Uh, he <laughs> wears the fly uh, Penn State fly fishing club hat all the time. And Pennsylvania, there's all types of great fly fishing. My problem with Montana is that you have a seven-month fishery. I would say that a Texas school could easily be in the top five. If we look at San Marcos, you have a dozen hill country rivers within a three-hour drive. You have the coast at four hours away. You have a wintertime trout fishery. Where else in the country are you going to find those opportunities? I don't think that you can. You have to. Yeah. I think the argument would be, oh, one day in the winter you can go out, you can brave it, you can catch fish. You know, I mean, I don't know. But at the same time, like in Montana, good you're talking about sure, yeah, or wherever you know these other places. But who really but, like people might do that one day, sure. year, but like how many? Like okay, let's take us for example. We fish a lot. Realistically, if you were living on Mon- Montana and you weren't a guy and you were just like, I'm going to go fishing. How many of those brutal cold days would you brave to go out? No brutal ones, but like 30 degrees, yeah, sunny. <laughs> I'm out there, yeah. You know, you get it done, I feel like. But I don't know how many days are like that. I've never lived there in the winter. <laughs> I know he told me one time it was like negative 30 there in the winter. So well, definitely not that day. We talked about um, what's in Corpus? Uh, uh, A&M. A&M. A&M Corpus. Every person I know that went to Texas A&M Corpus yeah. Christi fishes and they went there because they're like i like fishing and i want to go to school here 100 percent. and we're talking about there you can fish the coast all you want and then you're a three-hour drive to catch bass yeah. trout and then you're gonna have to stay in the summer if you're going to college because or you're gonna have to leave in the summer like you know you're probably gonna go home wherever yeah. you're from you're not going to probably be not in Montana. If you too much, then you would have had to take summer classes. Yeah, you'd be like, ah, mom, I gotta. Yeah, I just don't, it's a weird <laughs> got a list. class. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. If you are going, like, if you're going from Texas up to Montana, yeah, you're probably not staying. You're missing. Right. You're or missing. Or at least fifty percent of the peak season. Yeah. So if we if we just took Texas State because they're in San Marcos and they're probably the most central, they're a Division One school in Central oh, were Texas. Were all in these the Division Country. Ones though? No, I don't think I don't think so. But let's just say, like, Division One school, because we could say Trinity. I mean, they weren't, Antonio, they weren't definitely, like, they're definitely well-known schools on yeah. this list. It's not like, where? 
the, the everywhere on every school on this list, even the later link, ranking ones, are like, oh yeah. I'm gonna go with SAC because it's right there by Brackenridge Park. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, realistically though, like if we were to take Texas State, just we're gonna pick one and say it's Texas State because they're literally on the San Marcos River. Where would you guys put them in comparison? Like, where would you put them on the list? I don't know. I still say a college in Austin would be would be better suited, only because you have you have the San Gabriel, you have um, you, you're close to uh, the Pertinalis. You're close to Brushy. You're close to Pertinalis. Here, you're closer to the San Marcus. You're close to the San Marcus. You're close to the Guad. You're close to the. Comal. So then, so then, Shiner or Shriner University, the Medina the in, in comfort. Yeah. All that. But in San Marcos, you're closer to the coast. True. Your I-35, two hours worth of traffic closer to the coast. And that's more of a wintertime fishery, which is when you'd be in school. See, and that's the problem. This, this article didn't say too much about what the rankings were. Yeah, they said some stuff about football and maybe some partying. I don't know. It's just a, it's just well, a tough life to follow. If you like to fish and party, Texas State's a school there, for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I would at least have like want the respect to be in the top five. When you've got students driving a Barbie at car, at least on the list, the class. Yes. <laughs> no, at least on the list. We wouldn't even yeah. be having this conversation if a Texas school made it on the list. It I just be, think it's disrespectful. Well, I think our, no. I think I think we would still kind of say, well, depending on what Texas school it was, I'm yeah. sure there would still be some crap talking. But yeah. No, for sure. So, uh, Pat on the Texas Freshwater Fly Fishing page, he wrote an article about why Sam Marcus. Uh, Texas State should be number one. And I, like, he wrote it out, and it very good argument. He asked us to talk about it. A Texas school could very well be top five, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, guys. So, um, Cliff, you want to talk about your uh, article for this week? Yeah. Um, I really wouldn't say it's an article as much as uh, just an interesting tidbit. Okay. Uh, so on X today, I mean, if you subscribe to on X, you probably get their email list and it was one that came out today. Um, and it lists talk about running it, but best waterfowl States for 2021 and, uh, it goes into migratory flyways, different types of, uh, hunting that you can do, but Texas is actually on the list. Uh, see, Arkansas was number one. So Texas was number four, and it's because of the Sandhill Crane hunting here. Uh, it says, and now for something completely different, we turn to Texas. Yes, everything is bigger in Texas, and that's true for the waterfowl hunters too. Texas has been a go-to state for cranes, even as it's often overshadowed by the excellent dove and duck hunting in the Lone Star State. But many argue that sandhill cranes are a better tasting alternative uh, and weighing in at 18 pounds each. There's much more meat to go around. Most of the state is open hunting for sandhill cranes except the eastern Texas and a small parcel along the Gulf. Uh, Of course, Texas is about 96% private land, so you're likely to have to knock on doors and then it just kind of goes into bag limits. But uh, again, kind of going into it like a lot of people... I think that Texas is a great waterfowl state, but uh, that's probably because I'm biased a little bit. Like, I don't think that a lot of people truly think about it, but when you take in consideration the the crane and some of the numbers that we get, I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, so you think number four is fair? 
I mean, it really doesn't have a number next to it, but it was placed fourth on this list. Mm. Uh, one that I find kind of interesting that I never truly think about is uh, California is like number sixth. They have mm. those huge like reserves and stuff. Yeah, and I know it's a big cinnamon state and all this other stuff. I just I don't think about California for hunting. Like, in any regards, but that's because the political landscape and sure. stuff. Well, th- you know, this, these these two lists bring up kind of a, a good question. Within these lists, it feels like there's certain things that are listed higher, certain certain species of fish that are listed higher, certain mm-hmm. species of bird that are listed higher. Well, yeah, if, I mean, if you say waterfowl, first thing that comes to people's minds, duck. Duck and geese. Duck and geese. Greenhead mall- mallard. You know? yep. I mean, that is the number one chase duck in the United States. Yeah. So then would trout just be rainbow trout? I think people like brown trout more, don't you? I think people would rather catch a brown trout for sure. Yeah. There you go. But rainbow Topic trout next more week. Per- What's prolific. the list? Sure. <laughs> what, what, is, what is the list that anglers are, are, are you know, the targeted species, the targeted list. species list? I think that then it goes into a bunch of like, Offshoot avenues of like American coot. Yes. Number 15. <laughs> Everyone wants a coot. Um, but I think it, it would go into regional and stuff like that. And if you're a salt guy versus freshwater, like if you're strictly salt, salt you're not going to give two craps about some trout. But you start talking tarpon, these bull reds and stuff, then your ears start burning and perking up a little bit. Whereas if you talk to a freshwater guy, about saltwater stuff, maybe they're like, yeah, that's cool, da-da-da-da-da, but they're not itching to go like that. Variety is the spice of life. And that's why I think Texas is a great, back to Landon's article, should be on that list because there's so much variety of what we can chase here. I think so, too. Cliff, we fished with Tyler, Mm -hmm. Emmanuel. He was a previous guest on our show. If you guys remember, uh, he was the guest who had the the story with the guy whose finger got bitten off by a lizard. That will probably that's probably the highlight moment of the podcast. If you're like thinking back, if you haven't listened to the podcast, that's a hilarious episode. So go back and listen to it. But we uh, Tyler invited us out to go fishing. We floated the guad with him and uh, did a short float, couple hours on Sunday afternoon, and we had a good time. T- uh, Tyler caught a nice bass, probably like two to three pound range. Uh, yeah, I'd say somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, I caught a huge sunfish, bigger than my hand, so that was cool. But, Cliff, you want to tell everybody about the deer that we saw? Oh, yeah, dude. So we saw this deer. <laughs> uh, so we were floating. We went up on the – we were put in on the guad. Anyway, we saw these deer <laughs> crossing the river, and at first we were like, oh, that's cool. They're, like, swimming across, and it's a wide stretch of river. And oh, then, you could see where their like noses poked up. So they well, were, di- and then we uh, we finally got up to them, and we kind of judged, like, what if they were just playing in here? But then we saw them up on the side of a hill, and there's this one like just extremely emaciated deer. Like you can see all the ribs. It looks sickly, mm. but then you just see its back. Uh, I guess it'd be its back left leg. It's just dangling. Like it can't do anything. It's flopping in the wind, just like going it was skinny and yeah. looked like it i I don't give it 
unless something changes or that leg falls off, I don't give it a month. How, I mean, how recent of a injury did it look? Like? It, it it probably looked, got hit by a car. Like if we're being honest, yeah. it got hit by a car. Yeah, that's what I would. think, And it's too, skinny, but, so it's probably been two to three weeks. Yeah, to, it, to it wasn't like it was, it was a fresh wound. Might make like it, you man. Can see. I don't know, like. That thing's All you can it do looked is feel it, bad it looked for infected it. too. Like you can see how it yeah. was turning black and everything. And the deer could barely walk too. Like it had three legs, yeah. but it was like struggling. And there and was a buck chasing. Yeah, there's still a buck chasing <laughs> after it. And I was like, dude, no, you don't want anything to do with that one. It's like it might look fun, but your your offspring's not gonna make it. <laughs> but yeah, Tyler, thanks for taking us out. We had a great time. Um caught some fish. Cliff Road. I did. Uh Cliff was rowing when Tyler caught his huge bass. I was the only one rowing when anyone caught fish. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share your rowing technique with everyone, with all of our listeners? I believe they know it. You zigzag across the water. That way you cover more water. You just got to do it slow and steady so you don't speak fish. Do you do you zigzag by choice or on purpose? Or that, on accident? That doesn't matter. <laughs> just go with the flow of the river. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, you ran your first rapid too. I did. And it was you, a little, I, little I think like I, I class th- one and a half rapid. I think I rode better this time around uh, than I did the last time that I rode. Considering I get to row maybe like once every year, once every other year, I think that it was better than the last time. Yeah, it was. And then I did do a rapid. Yep. You almost took us over the falls too. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know there was a dam right there, but uh, <laughs> I was like, okay. We were like getting to... pretty close. I was like, hey, Cliff, uh, are you wanting to run us over the the? Uh, are you wanting to run us over the dam? He's like, oh, I didn't see it. And then we saw a dude taking a bath in the river. Oh, he was in uh, straight uh, up whitey tidies. It more looked like a white bikini. That was whitey tidies. Was it? Yeah. I wasn't trying to look that close. <laughs> he after he got wet, it went like wet T-shirt contest all over it. Mm. It was like, <laughs> so uh, Gabe, you bought a new fly rod. I did. I did. Um, was looking looking to get a nice sage one, but it's been it's been hard to find anything. So why are you? I know you're a guy with a collection of rods. What's your purpose in another one? Uh, and getting away from the Euro nymphing. Oh yes, Euro nymphing. Yes, love that. Um, no, I just I felt like there was a, a little bit of a of a gap. Uh, I've I usually Texas fishing. I'm fishing with a four weight a Z axis sage Z axis. Love that thing. It's like the first rod I saved money for, and uh, it was solid. Love it. Um, but I don't know. Just want to you know as you get into fly tying stuff and you're moving from from you know tying small stuff to then you know you get your eight weight for your saltwater stuff. Um, and then I've got buddies that have 12s, you know, I don't, I don't think I need to spend money for a 12 weight. Cause if they, they've already got a boat and a 12 weight, great here by, by lunch and dinner and, and, uh, just sling theirs that I'm only going to throw maybe a handful of times a year. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I think this year I'm going to go and throw more meat. That's the plan. More articulated stuff. Oh, you're giving up the tiny urine. No, no, no. I'm going to have both of them in <laughs> two hand, two hands. And, uh, and yeah, make that make that work. So I don't know. I'm just gonna get. Um, you know, I, I've been when COVID happened. I, I took the fly tying stuff out and I had it on the table. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to fly tying um, and and doing doing a lot like I did in the past. And it sat there for two years on the kitchen on the side of the kitchen table. Didn't do anything. So um, I think I'm gonna turn that around. I think I'm gonna do a little bit more. Um, you know, and and get back and get back into 
into doing that. And uh, lucky enough, I got some buddies that have some some property off of the quad, so I can go up there and and goof off. And so that's that's the plan. Um, you know, get get situated now, and that way, come March and April, we're good to go. And you know, that's that's the plan. We'll see what happens. Sweet. I got two articles. I'll go through real quick. Pretty interesting. First one: Texas fly fisherman catches potential world record blue catfish. This is reported by uh, mysanantonio.com. Didn't we go over this? Nope. That was the... Uh, guy who ate it? The guy who ate it. That was like a white catfish. I and that was in a different state. Gotcha. Fly fisherman Ben Christensen. Do either of you guys know him? Online. You know him online? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I saw a picture of him. I didn't recognize him. But he's from Port Isabel. He hooked a 31 and a half pound blue catfish while casting an olive-colored creek damselfly on 12-pound tippet with a four-weight rod on the Perdinalis River. Christensen says he fought the blue catfish for about 40 minutes after he sight-casted. Um, if you guys are interested, I don't know who he is. I do know him online, too, but his handle is Pearl Snap Fly Fishing. If you guys want to check it out, see the picture. It's obviously posted there. It, the article also says, while Christensen is typically a catch-and-release fisherman... He says he knew the fish wouldn't survive if he released it back in the waters based on the fight it put when hooked. He also says they considered getting it weighed to see if it could be some type of record, and it was. Inland Fisheries, San Marcos, and Austin District weighed and measured the catfish and announced the catfish is pending a new water body record for the Perdinalis River. Christensen could also land a world record with the International Game Fish Association, IGFA, as the 12-pound tippet record for blue catfish. Stands at 26 pounds, 4 ounces. So he's using 12-pound tippet. The current record is 26 pounds. He caught one that's 31 pounds. So it could be an IGFA world record as well. I wonder if he intended that when he tied on the 12-pound. He probably didn't intend it, but that brings up a good point. At what what extent is it worth the record? You've, You've killed an awesome fish. Well, he had to. He had to kill it to get it well, officially raised. Yeah, but you, but I'm sure he got it close enough to see how big that thing was. I don't know. You raise up an interesting point, and there's a lot of people that kill huge tarpon for right. you know for records with IGFA, and you know at a certain point, I don't and they know. get hammered on Instagram. Yeah, but I mean, well, so here's two here's, sides to here's it. Here's what I say: if he's gonna eat it. Right, but nobody's nobody's eating those tarpon. Nobody's eating tarpon. And when we had Dacus on, the only way you can keep a tarpon in Texas is is if it's a record. Yeah. So you cannot keep a tarpon in Texas unless it is a record. But still, that's a huge fish. But still cool though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cool. still cool on a four think, He's think, close yeah, enough to our area. That. We might be able to get him on the show. We yeah. could ask him about it. I mean, either way. I mean, it just I, I get it. It happened. I mean, I mean that's a big fish to do on a yeah. four weight. If you thought it was a record, though, too. would you kill it like I, a catfish? I, but again, I, there's a lot of unknowns on this, right? <laughs> How clear was the water? I mean, you obviously weren't stuck on a log. You knew when you had that on. I mean, no, I'm saying, would you? Would you? Re- would you just release it or kill it? And get the I don't record? have that. I don't have that look. <laughs> nor would what I would say. Nor would I tell anybody. I'd kill it. I'd kill a catfish. Get the record. Yeah. I'd eat it too. I don't know if I'd do it for a tarpon. Though. Yeah, I'd probably. I'd, right? I wouldn't do it for a tarpon. I think I would. I would eat it just for the sake of but just those, feeling better about doing it. But the tarpon records are like, yeah, hard to beat. Like you're not like people. Are, that's that is the game fish, and people yeah. are trying to break that record all the time. 
So if you break it, it's kind of understandable to kill it. Like if you but truly just, catch a two hundred. I just don't think I'd ever like. I yeah. just don't unless you're chasing that record. I yeah. don't see how you could break it, and I would be just go being tarpon fishing. I'm not gonna like pursue that record. Yeah, I don't. Even I think, think that's I'd a care. record you have to pursue. Like I don't care to break the record. I just want to catch a tarpon. A, I want to catch a, a, a tarpon for sure. B, I think would want to catch a tarpon like Stuap style, the old Fluger medalist rod, you know, or a uh, Fluger medalist reel with a piece of leather. I think that would just be cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you you see all those pictures with with uh, Ted Williams, right? Is that is Ted Williams, right? Where you know he's out there catching bonefish and and all this stuff on. On a you know bamboo fly rod, I think that would be cool. Maybe after like you catch a few on. No, I'm regular. just gonna go. I'm gonna go all out. <laughs> I'm gonna go all out. No, but I think that's cool. Um, yeah, I don't know you, Ben, but you're in our area. Congratulations. Yeah, maybe either way, maybe awesome. we'll get you on the podcast sometime. Still pretty cool. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey. The Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. From now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head to head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge of your seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Uh, the next article I have, uh, Trout Unlimited came out with a PSA. Please pee in the river. Yeah, you can tell which way the current's going. <laughs> you don't have to pee in the river to get that information. Okay, so here's the hey, problem. Man. How can you do it without getting a citation for public exposure? Going below the waist of, in the water, I guess. Yeah. Or above the waist. Unless you're wearing waders. Then what? Then you're just pissing in your <laughs> waders. <laughs> just Take one for the team, <laughs> man. Keeps you warm for a minute. Good to know. Dilution is the solution to pollution. If everyone peed at every campsite, put in lunch spot and takeout on the river, it'd become incredibly gross, incredibly fast, and smell incredibly bad. Especially now with so many newcomers to our river corridors, I've seen it a lot these past two summers. Do everyone a favor, pee in the water. This isn't your neighbor's pool when you were a kid. It's moving It's moving water, and there's a lot more of it. Your sterile union won't make a difference to anything in the river. Ladies, I know this can be a bit more challenging for you, but not impossible. You've also got the added problem of toilet paper, which adds the impact of a lot of people relieving themselves on land. So use a pee rag. What's that, you ask? Or uh, they have a link in What's the article. What's wrong with the good old-fashioned shake-off? <laughs> or bring a Ziploc 
and pack out all of your toilet paper. Also, check out this well-written piece on a woman's guide to personal hygiene on the river from the good folks at Oars. Uh, if you guys go to the Charlotte Limited website, you can find that article if you're interested in that information. But it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. I think they're marketing it wrong. I think they they need to have a hashtag handle and just people taking pictures of themselves urinating into the... <laughs> <laughs> Man, why aren't you like a marketing guy? Hashtag, I've leader. got a marketing degree. <laughs> hashtag P2. P2. Well, I got a question. So they bring up the, the issue with the toilet paper. If you're peeing in the river, why would you need toilet paper? Like, if you're a guy, let's be honest, there's nothing wrong with shaking it off. Well, yeah, I don't but think it's even, aimed at that. It, it, even if it is the uh, a female in it, why wouldn't you just use, like, the river water to clean up, like, a couple splash? I'm going to leave that as a hypothetical. I'm not answering. <laughs> I'm not going down that, <laughs> that tributary. I mean, other countries use bidets and stuff to clean themselves off. I think it would still work. Similar to a river. Yes, I'm. I'm, br- I'm bringing <laughs> solutions to a problem here. I, that's just not a solution I am prepared to tackle. You wouldn't clean your butthole with river water. Okay, moving on. <laughs> if it was an emergency, yes, but that like, I mean, if push comes to shove, you gotta do what you gotta do. As like an everyday, like I'm gonna go and I would rather clean myself off with river water than pack around used toilet paper. That call me old fashioned, but depends on the river. Uh, that's true. I'm not I'm not putting uh, San Antonio river water right sure? outside. The you don't want to be in Brackenridge, <laughs> just let one go right by the train, well, the kitty train. You and all the others. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Griff, so we got another question, and it's kind of on this topic. Let me see what it was. Four-ply or three-ply? When using a poop bag, what bag do you poop in? Uh, the it's, full it's a, I don't know what it's called. It's called a wag bag. I don't know what the brand is. I think you just get it at REI. I have a ton of them. Can you describe it? Like what? I'm, this is the first I've there's, ever heard of a bag. There's two bags in a wag bag. There's a bag... For your poop, and then there's a bag to put that bag in. That in actually, there's a powder inside of the yeah, bag. Yeah, it helps with the smell. To dry, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it so dry. absorbs it. It absorbs moisture. Yeah, okay. it's a. I don't know salt for all I know. I don't know. But Another solution what, yeah. is you get a bunch of those uh, dehydrated packets that come in the beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> Cut them open. Get Just a couple ziplocks. So again, not not ever seeing this. And and for for listeners that have never seen this, how how is it like? How do you set it up? How how I mean, I know obviously you know how to use it. You just it's just a big it. bag, and yeah, you Does just it stand up. You gotta it, you gotta get like the corners just right. You gotta situate it underneath it, okay. and you gotta just kind of squat over yeah. the opening. Perfect. And it's you know it's a it's you've got a, a decent area to aim, and so you're good. I know yeah. someone with a dedicated Nalgene bottle. Whoa. I do too. We oh. we know the same person. Yeah. Uh, Kinley asked that question if you were curious. Hopefully oh. a wide mouth Nalgene bottle. That's <laughs> <laughs> a narrow well, one. Well, he, he, knows, he knows the real answer, which is the first time I used a wag bag, I actually used the smaller bag on accident. 
<laughs> oh, See, so I think I would have shade. Is yeah, what's happening. Yeah. I think I would use the smaller <laughs> bag because then that fits into the bigger bag. No, but the bigger bag has all of the absorbent stuff, doesn't it? So what's the smaller bag? Or for I'm sorry, again? no. Uh, oh. Toilet paper or something. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I used one. So I think the smaller bag. I think the bigger bag breaks down to where you can fit it in the smaller bag. Is the answer. And then, it, and so that it's less surface area to pack out. But the big one is big, so that you can have room for aiming. Gotcha, gotcha. But I didn't have room for aiming, which was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> See what I'm saying? Nah, <laughs> uh, you just gotta be sharper, odd. So Not that hard. The other question we got for you was aim small, miss small. <laughs> <laughs> the other question we got for you was: Did anybody slash your tires with those Texas plates up in Montucky? No, but. I don't know if somebody stole my uh, radio antenna or if it just fell off. But don't you have to unscrew that yeah. thing? Yeah. I think somebody stole it when I was on the Madison. Because the Madison was kind of getting known for slash tires, for out-of-state tags, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But I never had really any problems. Yeah. Yeah. So, talk about uh, talk about what you do. Uh, I'm a fishing guide, and uh, yeah, I've worked in the Texas Hill Country um, for the past few years, and just recently went up to Montana for the first year. And, and this was your first summer in Montana? Yep. First full summer, well, first time ever even being in the state, but yeah, first uh, first season up there, and then just got back a few days ago and moved back down and uh, onto the Guadalupe River, so yeah, going to be guiding down there in the winter time we actually unbeknownst my smith river trip which you guys if you've been listening to podcasts know about griff was a guide on that trip which was funny because we just showed up to the boat ramp and you're just like no way you know like well what's funny okay so here's what's funny is that we we had this trip planned i went with my dad Cassio had been a guest on our podcast like a couple weeks before. And then I had posted something on Instagram like getting ready to go down the Smith River. Cassio messaged me. He's like, hey, is Griffin going to be your guide? And I was like, dude, honestly, probably not. There's like 10,000 guides in Montana. Like I wouldn't count on it. And then we show up to the boat ramp or we meet at the gas station and I see you. And I'm like, no way. What are the odds of this? And we didn't really know each other before the trip. We were no. acquainted with each other yeah. before the trip through, like, Trout Fest, maybe social media. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but the year uh, Trout Fest where you took Hillary down mm-hmm. the river, I pretty much followed you down the river. I was taking the Land cool. of Enchantment guides down. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that. And uh, And so... Like, we've been, like, generally acquainted, but didn't yeah. know know each other until the trip. Uh, but I just thought it was hilarious. Cassio messaged, like, hey, is Griffin going to be your guide? Yeah, what Dude, are the odds? no way. No way. And, like, I'm good friends with Mike and have done, like, a couple trips and groups with Mike. And I feel like I would have known if you were one of Mike's guides. Like, yeah. that's the other thing that blew my mind. I was like, no, I don't think so. Because, like, one, yeah. the odds are no. And then, two, like, knowing Mike, I feel like – Knowing his group of guides from yeah. before, I feel like I would have known that. Yeah, there's a there's a weird little link that got me into 
that lodge. So how did you get hooked up with Mike? Uh, so I had a, a buddy down here that I was going to Austin community college and, uh, had a, a fishing buddy that I met actually, I think actually for the first time at the fly fishing film tour, Paramount. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of traded numbers and ended up fishing a bunch and we did a bunch of striper fishing, like under lights and stuff out, out on some of the lakes at night. And we, uh, we fished quite a bit and he was from Montana and he, uh, moved back up to, uh, Montana and, you know, we kind of stayed in touch, but I mean, it's been years, you know, years since he moved back up there and just ended up reaching out to him and kind of looking for some out out of state work and he was like actually yeah i'm pretty sure i can get you a job up here so plug me up with mike and you know kind of went from there the rest is history yeah and you're a guide on the smith which is probably one of the more desirable trips to be on if you're a montana guide yeah i would say that it is i mean it's a hard trip for a guide it's a hard trip for a guide i mean it's it's a lot of you know you're not going home every night you're with your you know, with your clients basically 16 hours a day or something like Mm -hmm. that. But, you know, it's so much fun. It is, it's just an amazing experience. It's a gorgeous river and people just get, you know, totally disconnected out there. It's really cool. So I don't know. What did you think about our, how many groups did you take down the Smith this year? Five. What did you think of the group of our group? Because I don't know about your other trips, but. Yeah. No, I mean, they're all good. I mean. I don't know. What we had low water. Yeah, we had low wa- Oh, you're talking about fishing? Yeah, the best trip of fishing-wise. Okay. For is sure. that because of the low water? Probably. like a double-edged sword? Probably, double, you know, low water because, I mean, right. Be- I always say, like, right before it, you know, right before it sucks, it's really good, typically. Like, right on that yep. change. And I think it... I mean, because they sent a trip down after y'all, and they said it was lights out, just golden stoneflies everywhere. Wait, so, so um, I thought all the trips after ours got canceled. One more. There was a there was a day. So, but it was like it wasn't after we got off the river. They went out. It was like the day. It's like one day behind. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like. So if you went on the 15th, I think you went on the 15th. Mm-hmm. There was a trip that went out like the 16th or the 17th. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got gotcha. you. And, and that was it. it. And you had to cancel weeks of trips yeah. after that. Yeah. Almost a whole month. But, yeah, I mean, it, it worked out. Just there's plenty plenty of uh, stuff to do um, in the other part of the state. But, yeah, the Smith River was just low. So. Yeah. Um, did you go to Alaska, too? I did. Yeah. So how was that? It was fun. We uh and you were guiding in Alaska? No, no, I wasn't guiding. I was I was just there um with my buddy. It's it's his family and my wife and I, you know, went with them and we helped them, you know, fish and run we rented a boat and we helped them, you know, get from point A to point B and all that kind of stuff, but you know, we we kind of tied some knots, but I wouldn't say we were guide, you know, we weren't guiding. So Gotcha. Yeah, we were messing around having a good time yeah so, yeah did a few days uh salmon fishing uh did some rainbow fishing on the Kenai and then uh we went up to uh um Homer 
And actually, if you heard about the tsunami that was up there, there's like some offshore earthquake that registered like 8.7 on the Richter scale. And it, you know, supposedly Were you there gonna, when that happened? Yeah, we were in Homer. Oh so the sirens God. are like going off. And, and you guys were y'all in the trailer because I know you guys do the trailer. Uh, live. So we, so we were renting houses, but we also had a trailer up there that we rented. So we had we had a trailer up there, and we were actually sitting in the trailer. And I was like, "What is going on?" Like, you know, I just the ground was shaking. The, I mean, the the room was moving. Yeah, the trailer was moving. I was like, "Why is the trailer moving? Like, what's happening?" And uh, yeah, and then the sirens start going off, and it's like. Uh, yeah, little earthquake and they canceled their halibut fishing because, you know, it was just so unpredictable the next day, but, but no, what was, was that a fun like trip st- standing outside and just like waiting for, are we getting a tidal wave or we getting, yeah. what are we doing? Well, we, we were on top of like, I gotta say it was like a 300, 400 foot tall cliff above the bay. So we were like, and there's a fireman that, you know, lived next door and he was like, how it have to be a pretty big wave to to get us up here you know but the lowland was definitely freaking out and evacuating and getting out of there so it was not you know and those are all the fishing guides and stuff so of course they had to cancel it the next day i mean i think it was just they said the seas were really rough that we talked to some charters that went out and they said the the fishing was really good but (laughs) you know you you just i i don't think i would want to take people out i mean no that's just unpredictable because I guess they just don't know like what will happen, you know, later. Like it just because there's a, you know, I mean, I don't understand how all that stuff works, but you know, just because that initial wave isn't bad doesn't mean that there's not going to be rough seas and yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. So what was your perspective of fishing in Montana versus you started guiding here, you went up to Montana what would your perspective of kind of like the different types of fisheries? Did you like it? Yeah, I mean it's it 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 is honestly, and I mean I would say this even if I didn't work up there. I mean it's truly like you know it's some of the best. I think some of the best fishing in the world. Like it's amazing, you know. I mean you have so many opportunities, so many big fish. Um, you know, that you have opportunities that I'm not saying you're going to catch them, but you know, it's one of those things where, I don't know. It's just, you just, I didn't grow up seeing, you know, huge brown trout eat grasshoppers and stuff like that. I mean, that's just stuff you just don't, you don't see that around here. I mean, a a wild fish that's five pounds or something like that. I mean, just those are once in a lifetime moments. And I know a lot of States have opportunities like that, but Montana is a pretty awesome place to be. So, did you? What is uh, Montana has a lot of blue ribbon trout fisheries. What was your favorite one to guide on? Like, if you were going to point someone in the direction of like, hey, where should I go fish? Because you're close to the Beaverhead, yeah, Madison, Jefferson, it's Smith, so, yeah. Ruby, Missouri. Well, you're not close to Missouri, but yeah, that's just like five that you can just rattle off. Yeah, I mean, it's so year of, uh, time of year dependent, you mm-hmm. know, as far as like what river I would recommend because right there at the end, you know, in the fall, it's like there's really only a couple of sections of the beaver head that you can even float that don't have, you know, so much aquatic grass in them 
that the only thing that like you know within the within the uh you know last couple of months you know the beaverhead river was pretty much unfishable i mean just so much aquatic grass i mean you can only nymph in small little pockets and you know it's it's just tough i mean you could kind of streamer fish um but i i don't know i think for me the, the beaverhead actually was my favorite river mm. but uh you know just as far as the fishing and uh but the big hole is a lot more scenic you know and there's still some great fish and great opportunities and i don't know i mean you can have some some incredible days on the big hole and i don't know that that fish better like even in august when things were tough we could still go really high up on the big hole and get like uh trico mayflies you know really small mayflies but still really good fishing mm-hmm. so and then i don't know i mean the jefferson was good later in the year um the ruby is an incredible fishery that little little creek that's you know i mean i call it a creek it's a river but it's uh you know just a meandering uh stream that that goes right through you know the ruby valley there right where the lodge is and some of my best days were on that river Mm. so there's a lot of stuff to do are you going back up there next year yeah for sure are you still working with mike again oh yeah yeah okay sweet yeah i'm super interested in you and your wife do the trailer life Mm -hmm. will you talk about that because my wife and i are actually buying a trailer next year we have one on order nice so i'm curious uh, and we're not going to live in it full time, and it's right. much smaller than y'all's because I follow y'all's. Uh, uh, How big? In- Instagram, uh, twenty-two feet. Not that much smaller. How big is y'all's? We're twenty-six. Y'all twenty-six. Yeah. So, uh, what? How do you like that? How do you like living in a trailer? And what are some of the, like the day-to-day things that you guys go through that maybe most people don't think about with living in a trailer? Yeah, I mean, so. I'll put it this way. We we have a 26-foot one right now that we're trying to sell. Okay. So that we can get a bigger one. Trailer for sale, guys. So, you know, space. I mean, it's just, it's elbow room, you know. It's a lack of elbow room in a in a smaller trailer. You know, I mean, two, we've got a 80-pound golden retriever and then, you know, two full, full-sized adults, you know. I mean, it's, it gets pretty tight in there, but... On the opposite end of the spectrum, like, we couldn't, uh, you know, it affords us a lot of opportunities because we can just say, well, let's go down to the coast for a weekend and drag the trailer down, and then you just have all of your stuff with you. You wake up wherever you are, you make coffee, you cook food, you know, pull over on the side of the road, cook some food, you know, it just, it does, it, it, it it's conducive to a lifestyle, you know, where you do travel travel you know even if it's just on the weekends or for a job i mean for us well, it's really you the only take it up thing. to montana and right it's the only way to do what we're doing you know in my opinion i mean you could rent a place in each you know each place but you know there were people this year that were having a lot of problems finding like affordable housing you know in, in montana i mean we had a couple of guides that you know their situation you know, with uh, with our with the lodge, just didn't work out. You know, because they couldn't find like housing. So mm. that's uh, yeah, definitely a big plus there. And then yeah, it's cheap. Like you know, you pay 
five hundred bucks or so for a you know a rent you know and then you know I mean if you finance your camper you know you're only looking at a little, another little payment so for people that I think you know that want to like save money and stuff I think you know and you feel like you can do it I think it's a good move. And then you guys uh, for the winter when you're on the quad you guys post up at L and L. Yeah. Right there at Lazy LNL. That makes it easy for your guide trips. Real easy. Yep. You're literally there where you're either launching your boat or taking your boat out. Yeah. Sometimes both. Yeah. <laughs> and it's perfect because you don't even need to use your bathroom. You can just walk down to the to the quad and pee. Yeah. Yeah, dilute. Dilute yeah. it. Dilute. <laughs> well, so that, that would be a con. So getting into the cons of RV living, I would say um, everything that surrounds the bathroom is a con. Because number one, the bathroom is small, and we actually have a pretty big like shower situation. I can fully stand up in my shower. I think I'm like six foot, I don't, or something close to that. And you could stand up in there, and that's fine. But in an RV, they do have RV safe toilet paper, but we don't buy that. We just throw away our toilet paper, and so that's kind of gross. That's a little bit of a deterrent why do y'all not buy the rv safe toilet paper and opt to throw away i feel like i just feel like that tank is so susceptible to getting things it not being 100 percent clean that i don't want to add any percentage of uncleanliness to it i don't want anything to stick on a sensor or do anything like that i would much rather take my trash out Every couple days. Well, and I know some guys that have trailers already, and they're like, well, if I go to a campsite that has its own bathrooms and showers, like I opt for that because I don't want to mess with the black water tank. Well, I mean, if you're going to be in your camper full-time or using it heavily, you're going to find out that that thing doesn't smell very good every once in a while. And what you're going to have to do is a few things. I mean, they make some attachments that go on to where the, uh, the hose goes to drain your your black and your gray tanks, but uh, it has a place for the hose so you can flush water up in that system and just run water through everything. Mm. And that helps. We've also done, like, when we're moving the camper, we'll dump a couple of bags of ice, and then I can't remember if it's, uh, like, laundry soap or, you know, just something in there with the ice, and then as you move, the ice will, like, clank around and, clean the walls and the you know oh that's a that's a goat move yeah it's a little trick yeah so pro tip but yeah i mean it's there's there's definitely some cons you know getting the hose out nobody wants to do that you know you flip flip a coin for that well with being a fly fishing guy too there's just an inordinate amount of gear that's required for what you do like how do you yeah manage all of your gear it's not managed. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like I, you know, ha, ha, so you spent some time at the lodge, right? Did you ever meet Butch? He has the camper. It's insanely organized. And does it have the Yes. Yes. I met yeah. Butch like maybe like 2018. Yeah. Yeah, maybe tw- my trip in 2018. Yeah. Up to the lodge. He's just a guru of organization, but like, I don't know. I've I've gotten a lot more organized than I ever have been, but I'm still just like not not loving my my system so there's just i mean because i mean in next year you just have to figure out how to consolidate space in a camper because like 
uh, what I'm trying to figure out right now is I need a, I want a trailer that can trailer my raft and my drift boat. Mm. Cause I want, but it's the trailers are too narrow on a drift boat trailer for a raft. Gotcha. But if you made rollers and rolled it on top, you know. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. Elevated it, but I don't know. There's just, the gear is a problem. Ask my wife. I mean, we've got two bunk beds in the camper, and they're just full of gear. Yeah, So I can imagine. Yeah. No, but that sounds uh, fun to, a fun and exciting way to live like that. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a lot though, you know. It's a lot of work. No, so, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just even getting up there and getting down, you're looking at, you know, eight days of your life doing just that. Eight days a year, getting up and getting down. What do y'all do traveling? How do y'all do y'all get rent a campsite on your way up, or do y'all just? So what we did on like on the way, so on the way up, we <clears throat> we kind of went the scenic route because it was our first real like cross country trip. So we wanted to kind of see some sights and stuff, but we, you know, we went up, stayed with some of her family, some of my wife's family in uh, uh, where do they live? El Paso. And then we went up through like Flagstaff and just slept in like a Safeway parking lot. You know, those are like fine to sleep in for the most part. I mean, we figured out that some areas of the country are a lot worse for like parking lot camping than others like Mm. flagstaff was pretty rough actually we woke up in the morning and you would think flagstaff's a pretty nice place but and it is but like we probably had like eight homeless people approach us see i would think el paso would be a little bit worse after definitely not using your your rv bathroom after a chico's taco and 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 (laughs) and 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 they weren't the type of like approaches where they were like just normal like homeless approaches like they were like, a couple of them are, like, slightly aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty pretty strange. And, uh, but then we, uh, you know, once you get up, once you get up to that part of the world, you can just start camping in National Forest, and we just pull off in National Forest and pull up on X, boom, National Forest, road, pull off to the side and camp. So, mm. it's easy up there, but the further you get down this way, it's, it gets a little trickier. Yeah. No, but still, the the benefit of being in those areas and not having to f- find room and board, oh, you're yeah. already there. You're set. And they have can't like they have in most national forests like roads. They have areas for campers to pull in, like and rat little roundabouts and stuff like established. And it's just hundred percent free. Yeah. Now that's awesome. So, what are your plans for this year? You're you're an independent guide. Yeah. And uh, what are your plans for the quad this year? Uh, plans are just to, you know, really, really just try and, uh, you know, book as many trips as I can. I mean, to be frank, uh, yeah, just first year as, as an independent. And, yeah, so I'll definitely have less trips, a little more time on my hand, which is welcomed, actually, after this summer. And I'll spend a little more, more time with family and try to do some more personal fishing and keep it kind of fresh and exciting and <clears throat> not work every day. Do you do you lose some of that that enjoyment of, of fishing as being a guide? You know, it's like you're you're working, you're there and and I'm sure when your your clients are catching fish, it's just as fun, you know, for for you to put them on fish, but on a day off, you know, yeah. is it has it ruined it at all? Has it ruined the mm, the for, enjoyment of it? For me, I wouldn't say that it has ruined it. 
I would say that there are times in my life where I am burnt out, you know, where there, there's seasons in your life where you're, you're burnt out. And, you know, that used to like bug me like, Oh, I can't be burnt out of fishing. You know, like I never want to answer that question. Like, yes, you know, but it's like, that's just life. I mean, yeah. if you're going to do something for, for work, like, of course you're going to get like burnt out of that process. But you know, at the end of the day, the answer is no, because it's it is different to go out there on your own, and 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 a lot of times, typically when I am burnt out, exactly what I need is a day of fishing, you know, on my own for myself, and not you know to to you know just work every single day. But I mean, it's it's a pretty special job because you get to you get to witness moments that you know, and I. I guess in in a lot of ways that your answer the answer is yes because I will never get as like pumped as you know the person that is catching like their first you know big fish or their yeah, you but know it, their it changes. first fish it, it, yeah. it's changing the dynamic yeah. of man I'm going out there and I'm going after big stuff now it sounds more like at least from what I'm hearing you say is that I'm getting away from everybody. And well, I got yeah. that quiet time, and and I can I can throw whatever I want. I can try something new if I c- catch something great. Yeah, I don't really care if I. It, to me, a lot of times it's more about like, especially in Montana this year, it was more about like, let's see a new section of river. Awesome. Like, there's a million sections of river within the hour and a half, you know, drive that we have from the lodge, you know, to feasibly do a guide trip, and so just exploring new water is just, you know, that never gets old. So. Yeah, and that was, I think, you know, even with Cliff, Cliff can agree, we went fishing with Tyler. I mean, it was like maybe like a 60% effort for me that day, but it was just like, I just need a day on the river. Yep. Like, some days well, I go to the river, and I'm like, I'm going to fish hard today. Yeah. Like, I fish hard all day. And then, like, when we went out, it was like, you know, I'm going to sit down and throw a cast every once in a while. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. it's I nice to think... be out here. Oh, check out that deer with a jacked-up leg over there, yeah. you know. Let's go check out those ducks over there. I don't think any, any of us took that day, like, super serious. No. Because I even called you the night before. I said, I called you, and I was like, Landon, what are you doing tomorrow? Hoping that you, you would say nothing, and I was going to say, let's go fish. But then you happened to already have a trip lined out, and you invited me along. And I was like, I'm just happy being out here at this point. Yeah. And I think that's, like, what we talk about. And it's, like, whether you like hunting or fishing or whatever we talk about or, you know, conservation, whatever your thing is, archery, you know, waterfowl, just, like, getting outside is such a good thing. And it is is weird. You know, I'm getting older now, and it's like, you know, I remember – Waking up at five o'clock in the morning, drive, man, I'm gonna be the first one out on yeah. the quad there, and 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 go for trout and being all excited. And, and now I feel like, eh, maybe I get there at nine thirty, fish for a little bit, yeah. sit down, and actually take take everything in. Yeah, and um, you know, it's 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 those days that I'm looking back at it, and especially now that I have you know a kid, you know, watching her have fun, and regardless if she's fishing. With an ultralight for fifteen minutes, I'm the still the Barbie rod. I'm still exactly. I'm still never. I'm still gonna teach her well that she will not throw a Tinkara rod in my <laughs> presence. Um, but but yeah, it's just you know it's it's weird. It's weird to see those things as I look back and I hear you guys and hear the podcast that you know those those things change and and 
for good, bad, and indifferent, you yeah. know, it's it's still still a, a cool thing. And I look back at all the cool places I've been. It's like, man, I know I'm so focused on catching the you know, fish and doing this and doing yeah. that, and taking all the cool stuff that you know that I was situated. And that in. mood can change. Like sometimes I want to do that. Like I'm like, but yeah. on the Smith River, when I did that trip, I was like, my dad's on the front of the boat. He hasn't really caught any trout. I'm in it for him catching fish and being able to experience that. I'm in it for the scenery, for hiking to the cave, for like all the other little things that go along with something like yeah. that. And the fishing honestly was secondary. I caught plenty of fish. It was a great time. But, you know, sometimes I like put my feet up in the back of the boat and just leaned back and took it all in and had a good time. <laughs> I think some of the like, better oh, man. Exactly. I think some of the better fishing stories I have were literally like we didn't catch anything. We got skunked. Yeah. It was a horrible day where it was super cold or leaky waders. You know, though those were the more memorable times. Were they leaky waders or did you pee in them? I peed in them. <laughs> Course, Dilu- dilution, dilution, uh, and I hashtag taxes and leaky waiters. <laughs> yeah. Your guarantees, but but yeah, you know, I guess I guess what I'm getting at is anyone listening, take take the time, stop, breathe it in, enjoy it, and uh, yeah. If cool. you're not having fun, then what's the point of doing it? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm already there. I'm just yeah. saying. You know, don't be too serious. No, I know, but I, that's what I'm saying. Is like if you can't let go of the seriousness of it enough to have fun and enjoy just being there, then what's the point of doing it? Oh, fair. Because if I mean, I can go to work all day long and get pissed off as much as I want to. If that's what I find enjoyment in, then that's what I need to be doing on my Saturdays. At least there, I'm going to be making Don't a little bit. Find more enjoyment money. in working. I no, find enjoyment what, for getting that paycheck, so I can go do cool stuff. That, so you can buy bourbon. I can buy bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I can stand in line and buy cool stuff. That's what I'm saying, though. Is no, like you're right. It, it if it turns into a true job, that's sucking the fun out of it, where it's like. Uh, I have to wake up this early in order to get out here, or I don't really want to be doing this. Then it's probably not the hobby for you at this point. And, and yeah. to, to for you for this being you know a, a, a paycheck, a career, the cool thing, the fact that you can yeah, this isn't working out. Let's 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 go move. You know, take let's load up the RV and go someplace else. I think it's pretty cool that you get that option to be able to go to go fish different places. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely. It's it's both, you know. It's it's a job, and it's a, you know, it's it's also a passion. And I think managing those two things are difficult at times, you know. And uh, I think they wa- you know, things wax and wane. But you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, yes, it is. You know, it is not uh, that serious. What's interesting though is you know, like I take people out that are chilling in the back of the boat, you know, driving their drone around. And I take people out who have extremely high expectations. I'm not going to say expectations, but aspirations. Yeah. You know, and they, you know, that is a very serious day for them, you know, and there are, and that's cool for me too. You know, it's like, it's fun to to see. Uh, it's hell. It's fun to help someone else achieve their goals. Well, and it's fun for me too because, like, I you know when a when a guide gets paired up with, you know, a really good angler, what the really good angler probably doesn't realize is that he's helping the guide learn a lot more, especially an inexperienced guide in an area. Like I'm, I'm 
not saying I'm a, you know, I'm inexperienced in Montana, really, in the grand scheme of things, compared to people who've done it 30 years. So for me to have a good stick in the boat is, you know, awesome. Because I'm like, oh, there's a fish there, there's a fish there, there's a fish there. You know, regardless if he misses them or catches them or whatever. But somebody that's, and so that's what's cool is you get the spectrum of like, People out there to have fun, you know, don't care, zero expectations, all the way up to, like, an elite-level angler. Like, that's pretty, you know, it's it's fun to have the diversity and, again, you know, variety. Yeah. So. Now, if someone that's coming in new that's never done a trip like this, what would be a background or a or a, a learning thing from them to, to get get ready for that trip, what would you? What would you t- if I was let's say, just hey, say let's let's make it the quad, yeah. Because most people are, we know seventy percent of y'all that are listening are in Texas. Let's make it the quad, yeah. And you're that's never you're fished getting. the quad. I I've I can cast, but I've never I've never fished the quad. What what should I be doing? Practicing, research, and looking at, watching to get ready for this trip. <sighs> Techniques, nymphing. What 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 would help me have a better day out there? doing the homework to go on this trip? I mean, if you really want to do the homework, I would say get out there and, you know, fish it on your own a couple of times okay. and kind of realize, like, why you need a guide. Well, not necessarily why you need a guide, but even just just to kind of get your rhythm of mending and, you know, and I think, you know, one of the one of the big things that, you know, we see a lot too is just that, uh, you know, people, people most most people that I take out, are pretty good casters, but that's actually a detriment to them because they want to cast too much. You know, you're because they want to throw like eighty feet, or well, or they, like they want to, yeah, they want to throw too far. They want to throw so realize, you know, it's a shorter game, it's a longer game uh, with the Guadalupe River. I mean, a lot of times you're making really long drifts, mm-hmm. um, and you know that's just a because we have low flows. If it was, you know, if it was, uh, you know, higher flows, then you know you wouldn't have to make maybe necessarily as long a drifts. Although you can still make really long drifts with high flows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I don't think that there's really anything in specific that you can practice that isn't really just fishing and time on the water. I mean, if you can cast, I was going to say, you know, if you if you haven't casted, obviously, mm-hmm. go book a casting lesson or something at a fly shop, but I don't know. I I think for the Guadalupe River, just kind of realizing that, you know, a lot of that game is just leaving your flies in the water. So what, what in, in, in having those trips, what, what would make, what would make a, a bad day? Oh, just from a guy's perspective, you know, just, just like, you know, the expectations from, from that side of the boat, you know, I know it, yeah. I, I'd, I'd figure you guys want to get, get them on, Get them on fish. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a bad day. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a bad day. You know, of course, um, like bad weather <laughs> just being stuck yeah, out there. Yeah, I mean, we've had bad, bad weather that you know is incredible fishing. So that's one thing to consider on the quad. But I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't really deem any day as bad. I mean, I think, uh, I think you know, like we were talking about, if you're out there and you're learning and you're you know, hopefully hooking into some fish and catching some fish. I mean, that's that's uh, that's ultimately w- what we want. But you know, for some people, that that might take a little while. That might take half the day to get you know get you a fish in the net or something. And 
for some people, that's a really good day. And for other people, they might say, oh, it's not a very good day. You only caught one fish. But, I mean, if you've never done it before, right? it's yeah. all perspective, right? Sure. It's, you know, if if you've never done it and you hooked, you know, six more and you didn't land them, I mean, that's, that's uh, something to consider. Do you have a spot in mind that you would want to guide either in the U.S. or outside of the U.S.? Uh, like another, another place that I've never been, either you've never been or you have on, on your, on your brain that you would like to go and do. I would like to go do, uh, like the Patagonia stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to go do that. I'd like to go down there. And even if it was just, uh, you know, like a booking clients from here to go there or something like that. I mean, I don't know that I'd need to work a whole season unless they could, uh, board my wife and give her a job too but yeah I mean I I would definitely like to guide down there and just get down there and I I don't know I I don't have a whole lot of aspirations I mean I I genuinely I think Montana is one of the best places to go and that's where I mean if I thought there was somewhere better I would try to go there Mm -hmm. so I don't know uh what do you think uh like the quad's gotten really popular, obviously. Yeah. I think we're all very aware of that. For sure. What advice would you give to people to make their day out on the water better given the crowds and given how many guides there are? Yeah. And you probably yeah. are going down the river and you run into somebody fishing a hole. Like maybe etiquette, maybe like, hey, maybe you should think about doing this. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I don't I don't mind, you know, even kind of throwing myself under the bus for this, you know, but Mon- Montana has like fishing etiquette rules printed up and they say like what you should do. And, uh, it's, it's pretty spot on. Like if you're in a boat, you should move around to wade fishermen, give them space to fish. Mm-hmm. Now with that being said, I would like to throw a caveat in there. The guad, especially in low water, there may only be one route for a boat true, to go. True, true. And that, that is absolutely the exception. And I would say that's an exception. And if you're a wade angler and a boat needs to go through, obviously that boat shouldn't, like, fish your hole. Sure. But, like, let them move through so they can get past you and you can but get back to fishing. Go ahead and turn your phone on and videotape the interaction of getting cussed out. So they yes. great YouTube videos. <laughs> no, but, I mean, I think just just common courtesy. I mean, talk. Like, I mean, that's like, a great talk example. to each other. Yeah, I mean, that, that, <laughs> no, I mean, having a yeah. list like that, I think, would be so cool. Um, you know, from from a GRUT perspective, because I think a lot of those guys are either on their forum or, or whatnot, yeah, or part of a, a part of a, a a club that that those things can can be talked upon. Yeah, and then like if you like, I mean, we all know like there's no secret the cans riffle, uh, what we call cans. I don't know how to describe it, except that it's uh, behind, uh, what's it called? The Horseshoe. What's that little hotel yeah. called? I mean, everyone knows what Cairns is. Yeah. And if you don't, you'll know soon. Yeah, if you don't, <laughs> you'll find it. Yeah. But it's uh, it's where everyone's fishing. Um, no, but if you if you just say, say you walk into a place like that and there are, you know, 100 fish stacked in a hole. Like, how many fish do you need to catch out of that hole? You know what I mean? Like, you can trade off with people. Like, you could say, hey, I'm going to catch one, and then, like, you catch one, and I'll take a break, and then 
Do you mind if I can like just talk to your fellow? I think that's the the thing that we've lost is like let's just talk to each other and be friendly. Hey, this flight's hey, working. Yes, yeah. yes, because it's not a secret and it's not serious and like it's better if everyone on the river is having a good time. Everybody should get along. Like everybody should get along. So, yeah. and I also like one thing I'll say too is. There are the hot spots like cans and a few other I won't mention sure. just to not add fuel to the fire. It's yeah. already a problem. But, like, there are also spots that people don't really fish because they're not a named spot. Sure. And you can go and catch tons of fish sure. and not run into anybody else. Yeah, and I think on that note, like, if you're if you're able-bodied, like, you know, go try another spot. Like, Go yeah. walk a little further down the river. Learn like, a new section of the river. Yeah. It'll help your angling knowledge. You'll become a better fisherman for it. Yeah. And if you notice that a dude is like 85 years old, like just let him stand there. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, like it's fine. <laughs> yep. So I don't know. No, I think that's good. So uh, what is your most memorable fish you've ever caught on the fly? Um, my most memorable fish was a tarpon that I caught. In uh, in Mexico, wasn't a very big one. It's probably I don't know, twelve, fifteen pounds. But uh, yeah, it was my first tarpon that I ever caught, and it was it was kind of funny. I we literally casted at this pot of fish that just kept going in and out of these mangroves, and you know they they cycle in and cycle out, cycle in, cycle out, and basically in a circle. And, uh, but they disappear, you know, within the mangroves for a little while. And we basically fl- tried every fly in my box, um, some flies the guide had, um, you know, just going through the colors, like white, tan, you know, blue, green. Let me guess. Then you put a squirmy worm on? <laughs> I put a squirmy worm on. <laughs> then, then we put a freaking gurgler on, <laughs> like a redfish gurgler. He's like, I've never seen that. And I was like, okay. You think you're they're gonna eat top water after after they've denied all these like bait fish patterns? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he, we were like, okay, whatever. And we literally had the boat just anchored up in this one point. We were sitting there for an hour and a half, two hours, and we like to the point where my buddy and I were frustrated with the guy. We we're like, come on, man, we need to move spots. These fish aren't gonna eat for us. And sure enough, throw that redfish gurgler, and he's like, leave it, leave it, leave it. You know, just pop it one time little strip that fish comes up to it and just inhales it like a reluctant bluegill eating like a grasshopper like just real like you know just barely like nipped at it yeah and i strip set and i just knew he wasn't there like i knew just i wouldn't make contact with him and i did and we landed the fish but not before he went around a mangrove wrapped me up and i was like i'm not losing this fish it's my first tarpon ever so I, you know, strip tight to the fish and jump in the water. And the guide's like, no, 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 no. It's like waist high mud. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought it was like, you know, maybe knee deep mud or whatever. Waist high mud. We land the fish, get the picture, all this kind of stuff. Then my buddy's like, is your phone in your pocket? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So So I give it to the guide. The guide's like, corrosion, corrosion. And he speaks Spanish, so... You know, there is a little bit of a language barrier. He speaks some English. And uh, my buddy speaks fluent Spanish, so that helped. But he was like, corrosion. And I was like, yeah, corrosion. And he literally turns my iPhone upside down and just pours a full bottle of water on it. 
into the speaker. And I was like, oh, and then just like five minutes later, the phone's black, didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting, having to get back home from Mexico with a phone that didn't work, but it all worked out. And then uh, how did you start, how did you get into fly fishing? Uh, my dad. My dad taught me when I was probably, I don't actually know how old I was. I want to say I was 14, 15, something like that. Took me up to Broken Bow, Oklahoma. That's where I uh, caught my first trout on a fly rod. And just didn't really realize like that you could do other species with a fly rod and all that. And ended up kind of messing around with it at my grandparents' place out here in uh, Liberty Hill and catching warm water species and stuff like that. And I lived up in Colorado for a year, did a bunch of fishing up there. And when I came back here, yeah, just kind of got plugged into it and started kind of working in the industry. So what, uh, you have any good fishing stories from being on the river? Cra- anything crazy? Uh, got a gun pulled on you ever or anything crazy like that? Had a gun be threatened to pull on you know, a guy threatened to pull a gun on me. Actually, on the lower Colorado, at uh, what's it called the the boat ramp right there that everybody uses, um, Weberville. Weberville. Yeah. Yeah. I had a kayak and I was just like pulling out. You know, I, ha- I actually drove a Subaru at the time, so I backed my Subaru down and I had a Diablo kayak. I mean, it's kind of a pain to put on top of a Subaru like by yourself. It can be done, but it's like, you know. Yeah. It's like. What, they're 12 feet long, they're 76 pounds? I mean, it's it's a big object. It's not necessarily heavy, but it's a big object. I'm getting this thing on there, and I've got, you know, some ratchet straps and stuff. And this guy comes down, and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, hurry up. You know, what the, cussing me out and this and that. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like, you know, buzz off, old man kind of thing. I and was here first. Like, yeah, you should like, have, you should have been here five minutes earlier than me. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry I'm, you know, kind of taking my time but i've also got this huge guy like you know it's not exactly a drift boat where it's just like you know crank it up on the winch and pull out and straighten everything out, out. And like then you can strap it down yeah. later. yeah and i'm sure i was taking a little longer than i should have you know but i just didn't know he was there it was like 11 a.m i'm like you missed the bite dude it's like <laughs> it, that was you know i i was here at like 6 a.m i'm taking off the water and he's trying to put in yeah and uh, he told me, he's like, well, you know, it got to the point where we had enough words where he was like, oh, I'm going to go to my house and get my gun. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> I've got mine already, you know, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not trying to get in any kind of altercation here with an 80-year-old man. I mean, he's an old guy. His wife came down and was like, don't do this again, Larry, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And it was it was pretty pretty funny, but. No, I don't. I don't know. I've. I'm sure I've got some good stories, but I don't know if uh, any of them are appropriate. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Gabe, thank you. No, this was awesome this for the whiskey good. and everything too. This yeah. worked out. It's a great night. Yeah, and it cooled down too since we started. It yeah, and the mosquitoes outside. are gone. Yeah, the mosquitoes are out. Yeah, I never got bit once. Well, you were in you pants. Must, yeah, you must have earlier. sweet blood. Got a long sleeve shirt on. No comment. <laughs> No. <laughs> whiskey was good. Yeah, it was, it was solid. <laughs> it, whiskey was good. <laughs> yeah, whiskey was good. Well, uh, anything I didn't you... know if you were talking to me or Gabe. No, I was talking to you. I'm in the middle of other stuff too. I can tell. 
duck hunting at, stuff. Looking at poop bags. Kind of poop yeah, bags he was he was he was researching the what are they called? <laughs> wag bags. Wag bags. Now, uh, someone was talking about them on another podcast that I was listening to the other day, and that's the first time I had heard of them. Well, Julie talked about them. That on, might have been the, the podcast I was listening episode to. episode we did that just came out today. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Julie talked about them on the Devils. Yeah. I find it interesting on the Smith that they still dig a Groover. I think that that's outdated. That's you? I kind of liked it on the Smith, honestly. I prefer it. Yeah. I would way rather leave That's a lot of work for somebody <laughs> to flow down the river and dig those things out, though. I know. And those rangers do it. Yeah. And they dig new ones all the time. What is that? Uh, uh, it's actually a a, uh, a plastic uh, toilet. I mean, it's it's a full-on toilet, just how you know it, without a, uh, a back. It's like what you think about. It's a uh, hole in the ground. It's like a Texas Parks and Wildlife bathroom. If okay. you removed all the wall, yeah. like, yeah, just a hole. Okay. Yeah, just a hole. Yeah, hole I mean, the plastic toilet. The, the, but it's it's a it's shaped. You have a toilet seat to actually sit on, which is pretty nice. See, the, yeah. And yeah. So I d- I did a trip with a buddy. We did we did a week on pins. It was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And we went down twenty something miles, backed it into the dune, and he brought a red toilet seat, and was like, "What is this for?" And he goes, "Don't worry about it." Just keep an eye out for a bucket. It's like, okay, no problem. So we we drove down. Sure enough, found a bucket. It's like, okay, grab it. And we, we got our spot. And he's like, okay, cut a hole in the bottom of the of the thing. And go find a spot in the dune that would be, you know, a great bathroom spot. Yeah. And and I was like, well, then why is this thing red? And he's like, if it falls off, you could find it in the sand. And he had a coffee can with, with you know, with toilet paper. Waking up in the morning... That was by far the greatest bathroom yeah. I've ever I've ever had. Just the, sitting there in the mangroves, looking out into the ocean. You know, it was like eight o'clock in the morning, nice <laughs> and cool, and just sitting there thinking about life with yeah. the morning glories there. Taking the morning glory, it was fantastic. Did, was it raining on our trip? Never rained. Never rained. So the the problem, the only problem, is when it rains. We put this, and I wish like. I have a fancy rain jacket. I don't need this thing. But we put up like a uh, a tent, you know, for, you know, clients and everyone else who's using it uh, to stay dry while they're using the facilities. But it really seals in the flavor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty pungent experience. And, you know, because you've got... You know, everybody in camp plus everybody in the previous camp and the camp before and the camp before. Yeah, it's a it's seasoned, pretty a seasoned tent. Doesn't I will say it's good. nice. Yeah. Better than digging a hole yeah. or well, 100%. These, these guys have gone on this trip, you know, that I got invited on for years, if not a decade. Yeah. And they said they'd never not found a bucket. That's funny. Yeah. A that's five-gallon awesome. bucket. You guys have anything else y'all want to talk about? Gabe? Griffin? No, don't tinkar fish. Nope. Don't tinkar fish. Yeah, do you do tinkar guided trips? Not really. I have in the past. Yeah. I've done I've done some in the past. Do you like tinkar fishing? Uh I like uh I like things about it for sure. I think that there's a, a time and a place for a tinkar rod. It uh it doesn't do it for me though. Euro nymph for life. It doesn't do it for me. I mean, yeah, I think at that point it's like, why not just get a euro nymphing? I mean, I don't. I just don't want to get into a situation on a fish where 
I don't have a reel. Yeah. Like, I don't want to find the fish that, like, I'm like, oh, I wish I had a reel. I don't know. Like, it just seems, it seems like bringing a knife to a gunfight to me. You know, could be. If it's, you know, mountain stream brookies and all you're doing is, the you know, casting in the air anyway with a fixed amount of line, sure. It's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I think, but it's, you know, it, it limits you, you know, it does limit you because you're, um, you're limited. You have that fixed amount of line. You would have to change, you know, your leader or something if you needed to cast longer. It's, I don't know. It's just a less versatile tool, I think. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, new content. Last week we released the uh, article about our, mine and Zach's top 10 flies for the quad. Uh, we the YouTube video we came out with was when me, Zach, and Cliff went to the coast. Cliff had a horrible day on the water. You guys can watch the video to find out why. Uh, we have a. I read Ian's newest article for this week. It's very good. Uh, he had someone pass in his family. Wrote a very good article, but it was kind of about what we were talking about earlier, about like just going, being outside and having a good time, and like look the, like we're going hunting uh, at at my family place. The f- not next weekend, but the following weekend. And Ian just writes about, like, like hunting's going to be great, but it's like, hey, I'm getting together with all my friends. We're going to cut up, rip on each other, have a good time, and just, like, be outside. It's going to be great. Whether we're successful or not, just, like, being together, having a good time. So that will be out by the time this podcast comes out. So I hope you guys check it out. And then this week, I think I'm going to edit the video of me, uh, Cliff, and Tyler fishing on the quad. You have a YouTube channel. You're, you and your wife do. Do you want to uh, you want to plug your socials and all your content? And uh, Griffin will also put it in the show notes so people can find it. Cool. Yeah. So. Uh, and if they want to book a trip with you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, you know, probably the best way is honestly Instagram. That's probably okay. the best way right now. And what's your um, Instagram handle? Dances underscore with underscore bass so just like the movie dances with wolves but dances with bass like the fish so yeah that's probably the best way um they can also always email me and my wife's helping me get a get a website up and going but we're not quite there yet so what's your email uh it's my full name griffith england fly fishing at gmail.com so Kind of long, but it's uh, just my full name, and then yeah, at gmail.com. Do you do half day and full day trips on the quad? Yes, yep, half day and full day. So, whatever, whatever you need to do. Yeah, my wife actually is way more uh, active on uh, on YouTube and, and social you guys media do a lot of I RV am. living content. Yes, yes, and I. Uh, I should help her more than I do, but uh, I don't. So it's it's a lot more of her stuff, but she does a lot of stuff on uh, on YouTube and a lot of stuff on Instagram, and it's the England Endeavors. So it's our last name, the England Endeavors. Okay. Yeah. On YouTube, so, TikTok, yep. Inst- I know you guys have an Instagram mm-hmm. page too. Yep. Yeah, but just if you want to book a trip, yeah, just either Instagram, email, and you're booking up quick because you even, said you already had even. like 35 days booked. Yeah, something like that. So if you guys want to book a trip, yeah, there's plenty of time, plenty of dates left, 
And yeah, just uh, let me know. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys out on the water and in the field. The show is brought to you by Wag Bag. Don't use, don't use the small one. <laughs> <laughs> use the big bag. Use the big bag.